How many people are ready for the Word today? Excited? Uh, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. I feel inclined to say this now because I'm looking around. I see some several other pink shirts. I wear pink shirts as well, too. I, I made a joke to Pastor Mike one time, and then I went into my closet, and I was like, oh, I've got a pink tie. I've got a pink shirt. I better... I better take it easy on that. So anyway, Matthew chapter 21, let's begin in verse 12. We're going to read a scene where Jesus comes in and does what we popularly call cleansing the temple, okay? So verse 12, Jesus went into the temple of God. He drove all those out who had bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So Jesus actually does this right after the uh, scene where he's entering into the city of Jerusalem for the final time before Passover, before he goes to the cross. That's what we call the triumphal entry as he's coming into the city for the last time before his death. Uh, So he kind of closes out, if you will, his earthly ministry with this moment of doing something pretty significant. Flipping over tables. I mean, Jesus is not happy about what's going on in the Father's house. They've exploited the situation. And uh, he makes this big statement, exclamation point statement. My house is a house of prayer. It's a house of prayer. Now, you'd have to read the Gospel of John to catch this part. But he also, you may not know this, he began his earthly ministry by doing something very similar. It's in John chapter 2. The first miracle he did, he turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana. But shortly, like right after that, he goes into the city of Jerusalem and he does the same thing. He flips over the tables of the money changers, says that they've uh, called or made it a den of thieves instead of a house of prayer. In John 2, he actually goes to a really extreme act He makes a whip of cords, and he goes around and starts driving the people out who have done wrong, who have dishonored, who are irreverent before the Lord. Have you maybe considered the effort Jesus had to go to to make this statement? I'm pretty confident he wasn't carrying a whip-making cord kit around in his back pocket. He had to go out and find the strands. He had to braid those. I mean, what does this tell us, church? It tells us that Jesus makes a very significant point about prayer, that he takes prayer very seriously. He says, my house is a house of prayer. A house is not just a temple or a building. It's a household. It's a lineage. It's a people. Title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is a praying people. A praying people. And on that note, let us pray. Father, we are just asking you today to speak to us, O Lord. Jesus, we come to you and we ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray that you would give us your heart. That our ways 
as you shape us, would bend and change more into your ways, that our thoughts would change more into your thoughts, Lord, and we need you for that to happen. So we're giving you this place in this room. We're saying, Holy Spirit, take the room, not our agenda, but yours. In the name of Jesus Christ, I come against any distractions or distracting spirits right now that might prevent people from hearing the word of truth or any distractions that may just have people's minds and hearts in other places than here right now. Lord, we just silence those in your name and we ask you to pave the way for us to receive the word of truth. I come against any idols in the name of Jesus. Church, I felt this strong in worship today. I I felt like the Lord was showing me a picture of idols. Those are things that have been elevated in priority in our lives above Jesus. They have a place in our hearts that's elevated above Him. And any idols that might be in our lives right now, Lord, would you tear those down? Would you shatter those? Would you break them? Would you crumble them into dust in Jesus' name? And I pray, God, that you do a mighty thing in your people this morning. And everybody said, Amen. 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 So we've been saying all year that this is going to be our greatest year of growth, spiritual growth for each and every one of us. And I've got to tell you that part of growing strong in our relationship with the Lord is developing an on-fire prayer life, an on-fire prayer life. We closed out our message series a few weeks ago on supernatural works of the church. We talked about how having a prayer language is a component, an element to an effective or elevated level of our prayer life. We've got a section in our growth track videos that, are, that is specifically designated to an on-fire prayer life. Jesus takes prayer very seriously. Would you agree with me on that? I was just at a prayer breakfast this week, a pastor's prayer breakfast and church leaders all from over the St. Louis area and we came together. It was wonderful. We prayed for our nation. We prayed for our government. We prayed for our local governments. We prayed for school systems. We prayed for businesses. We prayed for families. We prayed for media And it was necessary. It is necessary. And as we were praying, you could feel the Spirit of God. And I'm confident in knowing that God is hearing our prayers and that our prayers are meaningful and they matter. And in this time of praying, we were bringing petitions to the Lord. We were bringing requests and desires and things that need to be given to God. These are things that He already knows ahead of time are needed Yet he says he wants us to pray. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus knows everything we need, but he says we need to pray for them so that he would give them to us. (laughs) So our prayer life is meaningful. It matters. But our prayer life or prayer in general, church, I want to challenge you to think possibly bigger about this today, is that it goes beyond just petitions and requests that we're making known to God. Petitions and requests are a part of prayer, but I would say prayer is a much bigger picture to me than just making petitions and requests known to God. Here's why I say that. There is a challenge whenever we strictly view prayer as requests and petitions. 
If we're not careful, then that relationship of prayer with God can become very transactional. It's about us asking for something and then us waiting to receive something. Now, there is a reason for that. It's necessary. But if prayer is entirely that and only that, we are missing something bigger. The word prayer in the Bible most prominently used in the New Testament is the word prosuke. Pros means nearness, closeness, or towards. So what I'm saying is, is that the whole idea of prayer with God first and foremost, is really about intimacy, nearness, and closeness. So if I'm developing an on-fire prayer life, I'm not just developing something where I am always asking God for things I need. I'm actually cultivating and developing a nearness, a closeness, dare I say, a friendship with Jesus. In fact, the first point, if you're taking notes today, I just have two points in this message, is prayer builds friendship. So prayer is it's, it's a communication. It's a mode of communication between God and us. Yeah, I pray and ask God for things that I need because He tells me to, He wants me to. But my prayer time with the Lord is also about me just telling him things about me that he already knows. Lord, I'm feeling this way today. Lord, I'm struggling with this right now. Lord, I don't know if you knew. Oh yeah, you do know, because <laughs> you know me better than I know myself. But yet I want to share this with you. Because in the sharing of things that he already knows, something happens. I'm opening up my heart. I'm becoming vulnerable. I am sharing things that are near and intimate with the Lord. In fact, if you read the book of Psalms, you'll probably figure this out. It's really about a walk of intimacy. It's about emotional people, mostly King David, but emotional people going through all kinds of things in life. They're venting. They're celebrating. They're scared and nervous. They're, go, they're, they're making the loop. I mean, they're going all over the place, real human stuff. <laughs> but they're laying it out with God. And in the process, they are becoming close and near, and they're finding and cultivating something that's so important with God is a near friendship. You know, Jesus said, I don't just call you servants anymore. I'm calling you my friends. Wow, what an invitation. The God of the universe who's Lord, who's Savior, who's Deliverer. I'm telling you, I fear Him. I tremble before Him. I am in awe of Him. He's my protector. He's my guide. He's my front and rear guard. He's speaking about things in my life. He convicts me of sin and error in my life. But He is also, He is my best friend. It's not just the thing I say. It's not just an idea that sounds good. He is my best friend. And I am so grateful for that. Miraculously, the Lord can play all of these roles in our lives. That's hard for us to do though, isn't it? You ever try to be a lot of things to a lot of people? It's tough, right? We want to we be friend and leader or different things in people's lives. And it's, it's tough sometimes to play all those dynamics. Not for God. 
Not for God at all. If he says, I'm your friend, he, he is perfect at it. It's, it's us that sometimes mess our part up, right? It's, it's an invitation, frankly, that's waiting for each and every one of us, that we could know him this way. He can be all of that to us. I had a coach in college for our hockey team, and he was a good coach, but he really wanted to be our friends, too. He, you know, he's one of those guys that kind of, he always wanted to be, like, be younger and try to act younger and all that. And he's a good coach, but one time we took the college bus, and we went to uh, travel, tri- I can't remember where the tournament was, if it was in Chicago or Louisville. Anyway, so we went out of town for the tournament, and we played, and then we were heading back, and we knew that our coach, you know, wanted to be our, our friends, and he kind of bummed with us and stuff, and we, so we talked him into, Don, uh, stopping by one of the nightclubs and establishments on the way home, and then we stayed out all night long, and then we ended up showing back up at the college campus at like five in the morning, just as the lights, the sun was coming up, and, uh, and so the next day, he wasn't our coach anymore. <laughs> that didn't go over too well. He wanted to be our coach, and our friend, and he wasn't able to tow the line. But I'm just trying to tell you that Jesus wants to play all these roles in your life. He can be Lord, but he also wants to be your friend. And prayer, communication, frequency with God, it cultivates that. It develops that. We're, we're being us before the Lord. I said Jesus is my best friend. The Holy Spirit is my best friend. My best and closest earthly friendship and relationship would be with my wife. She's my best friend here on this earth, no doubt about it. She knows me better than anybody else. And uh, I don't just tell her or ask her for things that I need, but I tell her things about how I feel, about what I think, about dreams, passions, desires, about what the Lord is saying to me. And every time we do, we cultivate something that's deeper. Now, what would you think if I said, Katie is my best friend, but we never talk? Is that even possible? She might say, there are some days it might be okay. But in general, right, we're not going to cultivate something deep and meaningful, a nearness and a friendship, if we're not communicating with one another. You see, prayer, it's a big box. It's requests, it's petitions, but it's sharing, it's talking, it's just being you before someone who cares and wants to know how you're feeling and what you're doing and what's going on in your life more than anyone else. I did something a few years ago in a message uh, as like an illustration, and it seemed to work really good. I thought I'd do this again today. Just take out your phones for a second, if you have them with you. And I know most people do. Um, And go to your text threads. And if you're like me, there are a few people... um, that are like right at the top of your text thread, right? And probably safe to say, multiple texts are being exchanged between you and a few people each day. Probably your spouse, I hope your spouse, right? A few other people, 
Pastor Mike would say that I blow his phone up all the time, so I'm sure he's on mine. But, but what this kind of represents to me is it represents the people who you are most frequently communicating with and most likely are the closest with because of the frequency of communication. And so this is what I'd like to ask you to do, if you could, maybe after today, but after the service. But just create a text thread that says Jesus. Make up a number. <laughs> five, 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 heaven. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> and just think about that this week. How often are you talking to him? How often are you communicating with him, sharing your heart? It can cover the spectrum, folks, of what's going on. And you might find, hey, Jesus, did you know whips are on sale? Amazon's running a special. Here, I'm going to post the link, and you can check it out. You don't have to braid them and make them anymore, you know. But just think about how frequently and how often that we're building that friendship, cultivating that nearness. Prayer really is an invitation. It's an opportunity. We get to pray. We don't have to pray. And I think too many times people have a, a limited view of prayer or it's almost like a duty. It's a chore. It'll never be exciting and, and thrilling if that's the way we view it. Yet it is one of the most thrilling and wonderful and exciting things that we get to do is to communicate with God and build a nearness and a friendship. I will tell you this, my ministry, whatever God uses me to do in a church or pulpit or whatever it might be, is absolutely elevated by my nearness and friendship with Jesus. I would say it this way, if I wasn't close and near to him, I'd have absolutely nothing to offer you. Nothing. It's the nearness and closeness with Jesus, the friendship that really makes us most effective at anything else that we would ever do. My friendship is primary. My ministry is secondary. Does that make sense? I think it's the same way with us in our lives. God's called you to great things, amazing things, and you should be so excited about that. You should be pressing into that and pursuing that. But I'm just telling you, in order to fulfill that, you are going to have to be close and near to Jesus and build a friendship that's the most important thing, that everything else is it, it's centered and everything else revolves around that. We are meant to be a praying people. There are times where we're going to be going through our lives and we're going to come to places that seem like to us, I'll bet you can relate to this, an impasse. I don't know where to go from here. Things have been moving along, developing, and, and we're going to hit these points. I know we don't like it, but we're going to hit these points where we are at a time of uncertainty. I'm not sure what to do with this. I'm not sure what decision to make. I'm not sure how much longer I can stay here and keep doing this before something changes and shifts. But I don't know what that change or shift necessarily is right now. Can anybody relate to a place like that? I'm telling you, when you get to those places, you press in and you keep praying. Those are opportunities. 
Because something greater than the answer to what's next is actually waiting in that space, that liminal space for you. It's an opportunity to build and develop and cultivate a deeper friendship with God while the setup is happening for whatever it is that He has next for you in your life. I have found that it's what's happening in the space between me and God that is more meaningful, more of a treasure than whatever it is he does through me or outwardly as a result of that time of pressing in. What I find with him is really the treasure. There's always something around the corner. But I've got to the place in my life now when I sense and discern, okay, we're, Katie and I will talk about this all the time, like, okay, we don't really know what's next. Here's what's, this is what we are to do. We are to just continue to pray now. We are to continue to pray and press in and appreciate this time until the Lord reveals something or speaks or shares with us whatever it is that's next. Hmm. And the friendship that we find, the deepening of the friendship, it really is the treasure. Point number two, oh, let me say this, and I, I do have, so I want to just, as a confession, People ask me to pray for them about things they're going through, difficulties, challenges, all of that, right? And we'll be praying, and um, my confession is this, that oftentimes, the heart of my prayer, and I would say that the Holy Spirit leads me to this, right? So it's not just a default position, but the heart of my prayer, really, most often is, Lord, use this to bring them closer to you. I, I, I find that most frequent. Sometimes, you know, deliver them from this, bring them out of this, change this, whatever. But most often at the heart of it, Jerry, it's, Lord, use this to bring them closer to you. Because if on the other side of this trial, they are closer to you, nearer to you, Lord, I know that your will will be advanced in and through their life. And there'll be something better on the other side of this for them. That's most often the heart of the prayer. Point number two, and you need to know this so that prayer is not a chore or a duty that we just check off of a box. Prayers are never wasted. Prayers are never wasted. Now, I'll just give you a, a couple parameters so, we're, so that we establish this. Obviously, frivolous play, prayers, prayers that aren't God's will, prayers that are out of bounds of Scripture and all that. Okay, I'm not talking about that. Genuine prayers. That's from a faith-filled believer, praying the will of God, the heart for the Lord, all that. Prayers are never wasted. Now, I'm asking you to ask yourself a question. I don't raise your hand on this, okay? But think about this. Have you ever thought before, like you've prayed about something because you know you needed to, and that's what you're supposed to do, and then you go through the process, but you think to yourself at some point, I, I don't even know what the point of that is. Like, what, did it even make a difference? I'm just praying because I'm supposed to pray and nothing's changing, nothing seems to be happening. Right, we just kind of go through. I, I believe most people have, have been in a point like that before where they've prayed and thought, I, I don't even know. I just kind of went through the motions. I mean, is anything even going to change? Does that even matter? Did that even matter? But I want to tell you something. Prayers are never wasted. Go to Acts chapter 10. Go to Acts chapter 10. I want to share this story with you today that really changed my life. 
a few years ago. It's a story about a man named Cornelius. And I say, changed my life in the way that I view prayer. So let's read Acts 10, 1 through 4. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He's a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. So he's Roman. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, so he was converted to Judaism. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. Now, about the ninth hour of the day, that's, by the way, 3 o'clock. The first hour is is sunrise, which is usually 6 a.m., so sixth hour would be noon. Ninth hour would be 3 p.m. Jesus died at the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m., close to twilight. So if you're reading Scripture, you're like, sixth hour, the ninth hour, you know how to figure out what time of day it was, okay? So at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., he saw an angel clearly in a vision from God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And so he said to him, now listen to this, your prayers and your alms, which is his his donations, his giving, have come up for a memorial before God. His prayers were going up and they were building a memorial for him before God. What is that all about? It's all over scripture, actually. This concept, this idea that God, because a memorial, it means to, to record, it means to recognize, and to have a point of response for. Now, God, could we say and agree, doesn't need to write things down to remember them. Agreed? We do. (laughs) Often. God does not. Yet, He records. There's a book of remembrance that it talks about in the book of Malachi. There are other books that get opened up at the time of the great white throne judgment. The Bible says in Leviticus that the daily offerings, morning and evening, that were presented, they would go up as if a sweet aroma to the Lord, and He would receive them, and there would be a memorial for those in heaven. Wow! This is big stuff, folks. This will blow the, the box of prayer wide open for people if they get a hold of this today. I am convinced that never, ever, ever is a faith-filled prayer from a saint that aligns with the will of God. It, it's never going to hit the ground. It's never going to fall on deaf ears. We may not see immediate results from the prayers that are being elevated, but what's important to note is that when the prayer is prayed, it's as if a sweet aroma, it says to the Lord, which means... He receives it in, and it's pleasing to him. And the one that is offering up the sweet aroma finds favor with God. Wow. And then he records that or registers that for a time of appointed release. And that whole time of God versus our time, we get messed up, don't we? But what we need to know is that when God hears our prayers, they're registered. They're recorded. And God very much intends to respond and do something about that. That's what this whole story is about. 
with Cornelius. He's a man who knows God. He's a man who fears God. He's a man who prays often. It's the ninth hour of the day, which means it's the evening time of prayer. He is consistent. He's not infrequent. He is consistent in his time of communication, prayer, and worship with God. And the angel shows up. And you know what he said? Cornelius, your time has come. Your time has come. You see, meanwhile, while Cornelius has been praying and praying and seeking the Lord and building with God, Peter and another city gets a vision from God. And he says, somebody's going to come and you're going to go to them. Peter is in Joppa. Cornelius is in Caesarea. The Lord speaks to both of them. So then Cornelius sends men from Joppa, I'm sorry, from Caesarea to Joppa to tell Peter, we need you to come. Our our master Cornelius is summoning you. Peter says, okay, this is the Lord. He goes. When he shows up, he says, okay, what's this all about? Cornelius then, and let's read that where Cornelius responds to Peter, verse 29. He says, uh, Peter says, I've come to you without objection as soon as I was sent for. So now I ask, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Peter then says, you can read Acts 10 later, he says, I see the reason now. And he preaches the gospel. Cornelius had gathered his whole household for this meeting with Peter. His entire household, family, and lineage show up. Peter preaches the gospel to them. They are all saved. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They pray in other tongues, and they are set on fire. It's one of the early signs we see of Gentile revival in the Bible. There's an overarching theme that the Holy Spirit is being poured out, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. But there's another overarching theme I don't want you to miss here, and that is that God chooses to use men to bring the gospel. The angel could have shared that with Cornelius, but he didn't. He used Peter to bring the gospel of good news to Cornelius and his household, and they were all saved and born again. But this idea that Cornelius' time had come. He'd been praying. Those things have been heard. They've been getting recorded. And guess what? Now it was the appointed time of release. Let me just give you a few other examples so that you get this. God remembered, this is what the Bible says, remembered Noah and brought his family through the flood. God remembered Rachel and opened up her womb. God remembered Abraham when he heard the cries of Israel in Egypt. God remembered Hannah and gave her a son. God remembered Hezekiah and added 15 years to his life. And now God is remembering Cornelius and his household is being saved. I'm just trying to encourage you today, church. I want us to be friends of God. I want you to know that prayer 
is so meaningful. It's so substantial. It's an opportunity for fellowship and communication with God. But every prayer that we're praying that aligns with God's will and his heart, whether you see action or movement right now as a result of your prayers, you need to know and have faith and trust and be encouraged that these things are being registered and recorded in heaven for an appointed time. You see, God doesn't write them down because he needs to remember them. He says that they're recorded and registered. I'm convinced because he wants to encourage us. He wants us to know. There's never one you pray that I don't hear. Tell you a story about someone who's really special to me. My great-grandma, she passed away years ago. Her name was Grandma Elsie. Grandma Elsie was the sweetest little old lady. She was about four foot tall. And uh, my great-grandpa, he passed before her. We called him Grandpa Shorty because he was like five foot tall. So I get it honestly, just so you know, all right? But Grandpa and Grandma, they lived in a little town called Corning, Arkansas. And uh, Grandpa was old school. He was a woodworker. He made furniture. That's how he made a living. Served in World War II. He was in Normandy, and uh, he had a little shop out back. During the summer, Mom would take us to Grandpa and Grandma Weiningers down in Corning, Arkansas, for about a week each summer. We always looked forward to it because Grandpa would take us in his shop in the back, and he'd let us see how he used his tools. He'd make little things for us. He had a great garden, I mean, an amazing garden. We'd go out, and we'd pick fresh vegetables, bring them in, and Grandma would prepare dinner for us, and I'm just telling you, she made the best spinach salad that you ever had in your life. Unreal. We would look forward to this time. They had little bikes that we would ride up to the shop. It was a little town, so it was safe to just ride the bikes up the street. As a kid, you just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. It was freedom at a whole new level, right? And so we'd go down there, and we'd have this time, and we'd enjoy it. Grandpa passed in 95. After that, Grandma moved up here Um, And she lived by herself for most of the years until she passed on in 2000. But she was a sweet woman who was always full of joy. She always had a smile on her face. She radiated, I mean radiated, with the love of God. Because she was a friend of God. She knew Jesus so well. My grandma who Grandma Elsie was her mom. She told me stories over the years of how Grandma Elsie would pray for all of us kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids all the time. And when I say pray, I mean pray. She had a prayer room in her house. She'd pray day and night. Grandma told me stories of how she'd wake up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning on many evenings and then she'd just go into her prayer room and she'd be praying, she'd be praying in the Holy Ghost, she'd just be praying for kids, for grandkids, all kinds of things. She was a prayer warrior and she was a friend of God. So, you fast forward a little bit, Grandma died in 2000. I didn't get saved until 2002. And... After I got saved, I remember several years down the road just asking the Lord, Lord, 
why did you spare me in my teenage years and in my kind of beginning of my 20s? Because it was, it was bad. I was very, very reckless. I remember thinking to, and saying to God, because there are three times in my life I, I'm convinced I should have died. Two of them were car accidents driving home in the middle of the night where I was drunk and stoned and fell asleep at the wheel and somehow drove away without any injuries and without hurting anyone else, praise God. The third time, I almost died of a cocaine overdose. I felt like my heart was going to explode. And I remember asking the Lord, I didn't even know you. I, I, I know you saved me. I know you did. There's no way I should have walked away from that. But I didn't even know you. Why'd you do that, Lord? And the Lord flashed in my mind's eye the face of my grandma Elsie. And all of a sudden, like a freight train just hit me at once. It all came together. I saw her on her knees. I saw her in her prayer room. I saw her crying out for me when I wasn't even serving God. And I'm here to tell you today, I'm convinced that those prayers were not only being heard, they were being recorded. She didn't even live the, to the day to see me born again. But God chose an appointed time to bring me to Him. And I'm telling you today that your prayers are being recorded. God is hearing and there is an appointed time. <laughs> I'm not so sure that some of Grandma Elsie's prayers aren't still being answered right now. She prayed that one day I would meet a lovely woman and I would come and blow her socks off and make her the happiest woman in the world. Obviously, that is happening still today, right now. <laughs> oh, But listen to this, Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, or 23, years passed and the king of Egypt had died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered, recalled something that was recorded. He remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you think God forgot and was just reminded? No. He's telling us this for a reason. He remembered his promises with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he looked down on the people of Israel and he knew now it was time to act. Hundreds of years later, his promises to Abraham, Abraham's prayers for his lineage and for his people. And all of a sudden now, some four centuries later, God said, it's time now. It's an appointed time to move and do something here. I wonder, church, have we possibly underestimated prayer? I wonder, is a memorial forming and building for us right now in the heavenly places? Is it like a full treasury department where we're heaping and storing up all kinds of prayers that we know God is going to respond to in His appointed time? Hallelujah. Oh, I had the privilege and the honor of being a part of Pastor Mike and Christy's oldest daughter's wedding earlier this year, Brooke. It was beautiful. She married an awesome young man named Danny. 
and they're just entering into their new life together. But I tell you that because I know Pastor Mike and Christy, we've known them for years. It's almost, it's going on almost 20 years. It's been a long time now. A long time. You've been putting up with me for a long, you got a special reward coming for you. I know you do. <clears throat> but I know them well enough to tell you this. I've observed how for years they prayed for the husband of their daughter, for God to prepare him and get him ready for their daughter in years to come. And, and I've seen that prayer get answered, praise God. We pray for our kids all the time, for their future and for their purpose, for their spouse that God is preparing for them. And I'm just telling you, when I pray, it's different because I know God's hearing, He's recording, and He chooses to respond at His appointed time. Hallelujah. We are friends of God. It's an invitation. Do you know him as friend? Are you cultivating something in a relationship with him that's deeper and more meaningful than any other relationship that you have? I'd like to challenge you with that as we close today. Open up that text thread this week. You do with it however it works for you. But I just wanted to serve as a reminder. What's the text thread of communication between you and Jesus look like through your day, through your week, and through your life? Is he your best friend? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? At this moment, just ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me because he'll speak to you he'll personalize this for you what are you saying to me I can't answer that for you surely but what is he trying to say or show you right now through his spoken word What does your friendship with Jesus look like? Father, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters right now, for myself. Help us know you more. In this moment of of seeking you, God, for a deeper friendship, I'm even aware that I can't even do that without your help. I need you. We we need you for everything. We are totally dependent upon you. But Jesus, I just want to say thank you. That you call us friends. Oh, how sweet those words are to hear. That you call us friends. And I pray, Lord, that whatever it is right now that you want to say to people, through the still small voice, the gentle whisper, the Spirit of God, speak to their hearts right now. I'm not interested in people hearing from me. God, I'd like for people to hear from you. Speak to them. pray that we here at this church will be used by you to build, to cultivate, 
afraid people. Let it be said of this church that we are a people of prayer. Furthermore, God, I ask just boldly that you would use us and help us to cultivate and build a community even outside these walls that value prayer where you would begin to be seen in fresh and new ways in our landscape God that idols of the world would come crashing down and what people would start to look and turn to you would you use us God to help cultivate and build that in this community and in this region that your voice would be revered, respected, that it would be sought, and that people would, from afar, would even say about this area, there's a praying people to be found there. God's moving among people in that region. I'm asking you for that today.